Welcome to episode 148 of the Men Who Save Football, the Dundalk FC fancast. This is a double episode. We've got to cover two victories, two two nils, two clean sheets. Shall we start last night with victory over Bowes? Now, early in the season, they were the pace setters. They were on for making a title challenge. We were sceptical about that. To pay ourselves a compliment, Ruri, were we right? Well, interestingly, we were called out for a, a prediction we made on this podcast. We uh, both were flying high, and we just, not with any malice in our hearts, we said that bows would fall off. We just said they, they would not be there at the end of the season. And um, then some Bose supporters who are uh, listeners of the podcast took exception to our uh, our, our prediction. But uh, it, it turned out to be true. And I don't think, like, this isn't gloating around, but I think it was... You could see it back then that they, they 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 started strongly, but you could see that they would not last the pace. Um, no, not to diverge too much from this. I think the surprise was St. Pat's being in the mix, but I thought it was it was a Derry Rovers two horse race. They just knew uh, Bowes would, would fall back a little bit, and that's that's not being you know kind of uh, particularly negative. But I think the performance last night of Bowes, I think Bowes fans would have to agree, and it looked like Bowes away fans did agree at the end, um, that, uh, I mean, Bowes were extremely poor last night. And that, that was like, kind of, do you remember when we, we trounced um, Pats earlier in the season? And a big flavour was not so much about ourselves, because, you know, we're not particularly uh, a well-oiled machine this season. But last night, I think, I mean, we were Dundalk, were being Dundalk, and we weren't... Pre- particularly at the races and we're you know listen we've gone into this and we'll probably talk about this you know it has not been a vintage season and the flaws are there to see but if you ever doubted why you know why aren't bows up in the mix after the start i mean maybe last night's performance is one of the reasons and you could see it the frustration we were sitting near to some bohemian fc officials uh and uh we could see it from the fans that they um and maybe as well going into the cup final for them it would be a bit more worrying but they were shockingly bad because if you think about the game last night i mean they started the first two minutes were terrifying uh for us because i think afalobi had two chances and it was trademarked on dock stuff our defense were sixes and sevens and it was just like you know this was going to be a long long night we were looking at each other going i was kind of like i mean i went into the game thinking we were going to lose to be honest with you um and after that first two minutes i thought this is going to be a hell of a night and then Ainsley went down and went off injured, and you think, oh, God, because then Slogat slots in there. But then from that point on, I think but our one period in the near the start of the second half where Bose had some possession, um, they, were, they weren't at the races at all. And Dundalk could, I mean, knock it about fairly comfortably. I think we definitely had the lion's share of possession. Uh, we weren't particularly good. But we still ran out two 0 winners, and I think you know we're going to get to the the <laughs> cloud of negativity around the club at the moment uh, on this podcast. But I would say I, I would say some positives, as you said, two clean sheets in a row, which is significant because that has been a massive issue for us this season. So two clean sheets. Another significant thing this season has not been putting the ball in the net. So two 0 you know. Uh, we were just scraping the games. Um, both, I would say, were fairly comfortable victories, uh, Sligo and the Bose game. And what it says about the future, because that's part kind of, you know, as we wind down the season, I think we're trying to look at, well, what does 
you know, what do the tea leaves say about the future? But I would say that there are some positives there, which is that, I mean, both are poor, and I do think that has to be a factor. Uh, but you can only, you know, handle Europe against, but, you know, I thought we knocked about the ball. We held on to possession. Uh, both teams didn't seem to want for large periods of the game to actually hold on to the ball and uh, win. But we edged them. Um, I would say a significant factor, which we will talk about, is the big turning point was some substitutions. I mean, we scored the goal pretty soon after Pat Hopen came on. He was involved in the goal. Um, and that, obviously, for reasons which we'll probably get to, is significant. But I thought Pat started on the bench and came on, was decisive in, when he came on and, and switched it up. And then, um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a strange result because I said I, I would have said that going into that game that I would have not been too confident. Um, but both were super poor. But that doesn't really mean anything when it's Dundalk FC because teams can be super poor and still beat us. Uh, but... The one thing I would say is a, a few weeks ago, I think we lost, as I, I hope I get this right, we lost to Pats on a Friday. And that essentially the narrative was then the European dream is over. Then we played Cork and Drogheda. And we beat Cork 5-0 and then we beat Drogheda. And we were surmising. A theory we had here is that because the players, there was pressure off because we had nothing to, to play for, that the dog could suddenly be free-flowing and win the game. Now, I know... This might be a, a very uh, watertight theory, but it, that was the kind of thing we were saying. Then it was like, oh, two wins back to back. Europe could be in contention. And then we went and lost to Shelburne. And it's like, oh, we're out of Europe again. Then the talk is we're out of Europe again. And then we win two games back to back. So maybe the point behind this Dundalk team is that um, if, 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 if the narrative is that we have something to play for, they psychologically collapse and we lose a game. But if you say, lads, we're on the beach, season's over, do what you want, we seem to beat teams. So um, the worrying thing now is that all the headlines are is that we are back in contention for Europe. Um, and maybe we'll mess up against UCD. Who knows? But um, very enjoyable to beat Bose. And again, I think what I really want to say is probably going to be relevant later on when we talk about the state of the club and the conversation. But... We are, I mean, I we made fun of you a few weeks ago, Ken, for your uh, optimism over Europe. But it is, I'm going to say it now, it is a realistic prospect. So for all the doom and gloom around the club, it would not be surprising or shocking if we end up in Europe next season. Well, no, I think Skip was out complaining, right, that uh, there was certain people, you know, with this air of negativity who were saying that every time we're beaten, you know, we're outplayed, and every time we win, it's down to the opposition being dreadful, right? And I think uh, we've started off this cast by saying, like, this is exactly what happened, a dreadful bohemian side rolled over in front of us. But I think, like, some credit where it's due, right? We have said countless times in this cast that we have failed to beat the teams who are ahead of us in the table, right? And that has been one of the big stumbling blocks in this uh, this season. But here we are. We have actually won against a team that were above us on the table. Uh, and honestly, the a team that we had a very poor record against earlier in the season, too. So I think credit where it's due. Um, that said, right, I, I think we started the game very badly, right? As Rory said, Afalabi had two chances inside the first minute, right, to put them ahead. We looked at sixes and sevens, right, all over the place. And for the first, I'd say, 10 minutes, I was just convinced that we were, you know, losing the game. Um, when Greg Slager dropped in, to play at centre half, you know, I thought he he filled the gap, 
but I thought in the first half he was constantly getting turned by Afalabi and there was all sorts of threats and stuff like that. And it, you know, it seemed like a very worrying time. Combine that, I think, with a lot of very poor play in the first half, like balls kicked straight out of play, you know, sort of uh, real hesitation about trying to play it through the middle and everything like that. You know, it seemed that Bowes had sort of worked out that they would put three men up front and stop, you know, Shepard playing out from the back and stuff like this. And we just didn't seem to have any answer, right? A lot of sort of loose passes and stuff like that. Now, we did put together a couple of, uh, you know, moves in the first half. We had four corners in a row, I think. One of them, I haven't seen the replay or the highlights, but it looked from where we were sitting very much like a handball, right? I think all of the Dundalk players appealed for a handball as well. Referee didn't give it. But, you know, that could have been a turning point earlier in the game. And then I think right in the stroke of halftime, Hayden Muller got on the wrong side of his man as well and uh, made what I would say was an adventurous, you know, tackle in the box that the referee decided wasn't a foul and wasn't a penalty. But, like, they were all big potential turning points before halftime. But I think the biggest turning point itself was halftime, right? So... Skip again made a couple of well, he made one particular change where Connor Malley came in for uh Senna Mullen, and I think that was a real turning point in the game, right? I think from halftime onwards, we looked much more comfortable. It we didn't look like we were you know knocking too hard on the Bohemian's door all of that much, but we seemed much more in control of the game. Bohemian seemed much less effective up front. Sluggett all of a sudden seemed to have a handle on Afa Labby, right? Um, wasn't getting turned, you know, there was there was less drama. Uh, and so I think whatever was said, whatever, you know, tweaks were made at halftime in the dressing room were really, you know, very effective. And I think we went on to, you know, pretty much dominate the second half, right? I think we had most of the chances, even before Hooban came on, right? We had a couple of corners where the ball was bobbling around. I think Andy Boyle had a wild swing at the ball that he might not want to see again, you know, when he had a, a clear chance in the box. But, you know, we were definitely, I think, dominating and 2-0 probably a fair reflection right on that second half so like i say credit where it's due uh i also really enjoyed the paul doyle interview after the match uh that went up online right i think he gives a super honest assessment of the game right where he said very unhappy with some elements of the dundalk play including some elements of his own play right there was a couple of times he tried to play balls out to archie davies you know and it sort of skidded off his you know uh, his ankle or his knee or something like that and went straight out of play and stuff like this so there was a lot of loose touches and stuff like that you know around the play. but i think he talked through the game right in a very um mature kind of way you know probably more maturity than you would expect for a player of his you know sort of age profile and things like this but you know i thought his assessment of how the games went was very very good um now at the same time right he said a couple of other interesting things as well right he talked about the air of negativity and you know stuff like this that was around and he said that like some things he felt were a bit unfair and rightly, he said that, you know, there's a lot of people are saying that Bows are having a very good season uh, and we're not having a very good season. And yet here we are ahead of them in the table. Right. You've got to square that circle a little bit. Um, I would say in our defense, we went into the season right with European football with a bigger budget. Uh, Bows went into the season with no European football on a smaller budget. And, you know, I would say they performed above expectations. We performed below expectations. So there's probably, you know. Um, there's some truth in what he's saying. There's some uh, arguments against it and, uh, and this kind of thing. But like I say, credit for last night's performance, uh, particularly in the second half, goes to the team. Yeah, I don't think there's much to add there, Martin. That was well summed up last night. I just thought it's the exact same. I thought we were very poor or very flat or very, not the races uh, the first half. And then obviously the tactical changes in the second half. 
we definitely we deserved the three points based on on that second half performance. I felt really sorry last night for um, for young Senan Mullen because you know after having a, a blistering game and in, in the showgrounds the week before, you know he just it just didn't go right from last night. And uh, we all know what kind of potential um, he has. Uh, such a presence for such a young young uh, player on, on the park. So I think there's lots. We're going to see lots of of, of really really cool things from him, uh, because he he just he just looks you know <laughs> just last night just things just weren't weren't going well from. And luckily enough, uh, Bulls you know couldn't capitalize on the fact that we were quite flat in in the first half. And then in the second half, uh, I thought we we stepped it up a gear. Um, I, I I mean we we said this before in the podcast like about Pat Hooven and when Pat Hooven's playing. You know, we generally get a result, whether it's pulling back, um, you know, a draw or, or a victory. I just think when he's on, he brings some. He he just brings something uh, special. Like and to come straight on at a corner, he did cause all sorts of problems in there. He was just he was really really strong, and uh, you know he was excellent uh, for that for that first goal. Then he was instrumental in the second goal as well. But saying that, I just did think that he was just a little bit flat. Yeah, he wasn't like the Pat Hoban that we would would have seen like before. He he um he he broke his record. So yeah, that, that was it. That, that was just one thing. I don't know. Maybe he's he's carrying an injury or something like that. But um, you know, he just I just thought he just wasn't himself. But that's possibly why he just came in off the bench and didn't play. You know, the day the full ninety minutes. But um, going into the game, I wasn't optimistic going into the game. So I was kind of going for the event, the last home game of the season, a bit of crack catching up with people. Um, so like that kind of calamitous start that we had, I I I wasn't. It didn't, you know. It was kind of like going, yeah, that this is you know probably a bit right. I just I just think we're very very flat. Like when when we start, it's almost as if like we're not up to up to speed. Like that's what it looked like last night. It just looked like we weren't up to speed at the start of the game. Like we just I don't know. We, we weren't warmed up at all. Like you know, like and you know, we may possibly like we warmed up as the game went on. And luckily enough, both couldn't capitalize in that first half. You know, and have us a goal or two down. Um, but look, extremely happy with the performance. Um, the second half last last night and and the result as well. And then coming off the the back of going to Sligo and be um, you know having the win in Sligo because that's a really tough place to go to. You know, I know Sligo are in a bit of turmoil at the moment and rumours from from my Western correspondent over there is things aren't good on the pitch, they're not good off the pitch. There's you know rumours of money issues over there as well, but. Good thing about Sligo fans are they usually rally around behind their club and get things back up and running. So, you know, I don't think there's anything that would be, you know, a major catastrophe for them over there. They're quite good. But yeah, um, Rory, I'm going to disagree. I don't think that we're back in the in the in the in the European run. I'm holding holding my holding my um my stance on that one. I think that, you know, it's just it's, we're just way too much. You know, to 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 look for to look for you know, um, for other t- teams to do us, you know, uh, favors. I'm mean, not so much favors. Like I, I suppose, if you look at it, uh, last night, based on you know Bohemians, their performance last night, they really need to put a shift in to get up to um, the standard of beating Pats in the, in the cup final. You know, anything can happen in the cup final. Cup final is a cup final. But if if you were looking at that performance last night and you were a Bulls fan. You'd certainly be worried because we're ahead of them in the league, um, and you know Pats are you know, although Pats were bet, you know, two 0 last night by 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 the Rovers champions. So like, you know, that's a different class there. Um, so I just don't know. I'd, I'd be I'd be worried for them, but I don't think that. Yeah, I know we've 
two, two, two wins behind us, but I, I don't hold out much hope for Europe for us. To get into Europe requires a series of results to go our way. It is kind of out of our hands, but we would need Shelburne either to lose and then Bohemians to draw or lose. And then we, if Shelburne get a draw and we get a win, we'd be even on points and we'd have to make up a goal deficit of four goals. So basically a hammering of uh, a hammering of UCD by five goals and a 1-1 draw in uh, United Park. And that could, if then Pats go on and win the cup, see you slink into Europe. It sounds pretty improbable. It probably is, you know, a little bit much to expect, but it goes to show just how crucial all those kind of results that went against us that could have the draws that could have been victories or the defeats that could have been draws it goes to show that every one of them did count remarkably despite our patchy form we are still theoretically in contention for that spot and it would be somewhat of a miraculous escape if we look at the two results though after a very very flat performance against Shelburne where we couldn't muster a single shot on goal and I think everybody really saw that as something of a low point there were a few changes made to the lineup in Sligo, and that continued on to last night's game. We recommended that at this point of the season, it might be a good idea to play some of the younger players. So we did see Sen and Mullen coming in. Very impressive performance, I thought, in Sligo. And then a lot asked of him when Robbie Benson got injured and he had to continue on in that midfield role. Uh, substituted, I think, just because, not for anything that he did particularly wrong against Bohemians. I just think, you know, Conor Malley was brought in to maybe offer a little bit more experience. Uh, but he's, it's good to see those players getting a little bit of game time with a view to what they might do next season. I also thought that Rhino Kane was really animated and full of energy and invention in the last two games. He seems to be getting a kind of wave of confidence that's allowing him to get the ball down, to take players on. He seems to like dribbling at defenders, putting them on the back foot, getting them backpedaling towards goal. And I thought he was very effective in Sligo and also caught the eye a lot in his performance against Bowes two of his better performances for the team. So it's good to see that young local talent beginning to break through. One of the things I want to ask you about is one of the major selection changes was that Cameron Elliott was given the centre forward role. We know he's a very different type of player to Patrick Oban. Patrick, we know his qualities. Classic anchorman, stays up there. He's physical, he's combative. He holds the ball up with his back to goal. He's a very good goal getter as well. Elliott, offers you something different. He hasn't really set the world alight as regards scoring goals, but he is much more mobile and tends to run the channels in a way that perhaps was more in the style of what David McMillan did. Given how flat and static we were and how ponderous our approach has been often throughout the season, do you think maybe part of that uh, more animated, more fluid style that we saw in Sligo and then again a little bit last night was due to having a different type of centre forward leading the line. I mean, there's no doubt. I think that that is true, right? One of the things that we seem to have struggled a little bit with is stretching the opposition, right? Where um, we've had this thing, you know, sort of all season where we seem to play at an incredibly pedestrian pace and it's back and forth, side to side, back and forth, side to side, and, you know, really struggling to to penetrate uh, the opposition in any way. And I think when you have somebody like Cammy Elliott, who is more likely to run into channels, right? You give that option to, you know, knock something over the top. And that really, you know, sort of puts the, the opposition in a place where they have to, you know, turn and gallop back towards their own goal. And I think even if a defender wins it, right, if there's a ball in the air, you know, and they try and hit it back out, all of a sudden, you know, there's a little bit more, um, 
would say the, the the play is a little bit scrappier or it's a little bit more um dynamic right people are not set in positions and it's not so static and i think that really was you know a, a feature of this LIGO game if we look at the the first goal i think we did really well to win the ball back right i think greg sloggett does a, a great job to turn the ball over it's you know pushed into the the feet of cameron elliott who makes a really good run you know sort of forward and i think greg sloggett also continues his run you know and powers towards the the box and it really puts the it, almost one of the first times we've seen all season right a defense that looked a little bit terrified of what we were doing you know and sort of the the play very broken up and us on the attack and i think that led to a situation where you know daryl horgan finds the ball at the back post very similar i think to the goal that shell scored against us the previous week where, where it was sort of worked across that same area he gets a shot on target right the keeper is extremely poor right it goes straight through him but you know how many times this season have we seen the dog fail to get shots on target and you know we've had keepers who were you know 17 years old you know and never played a senior game and stuff of this and we're not working them and it turns out that if you just get shots in right you score goals and i think that was one of those occasions where you really think you know thank god he had a go <laughs> and that kind of thing you don't shoot you don't score um i think the thing that i lament a little bit about the the rest of this LIGO game is that we had so few shots on target right again we you know looked very defensively sound um we kept the ball well for you know reasonably long periods of time and we worked the ball into the channels right we had countless times where somebody was you know uh two on two chances or you know sort of three on three and we got into the box and instead of getting a shot away it was you know sort of we tried to find somebody in the middle and a poor quality ball got cut out and you know things like this and it wasn't until the sam durand goal that i think we had our next shot on target after the the daryl horgan opener right which was i'm not sure how many minutes were between the two of them but like it must have been a good 70 minutes or something like that and i think that's something like it's still room for the for improvement for the team like something for them to work on we saw a lot as well like in the bohemians game where uh we saw daryl horgan cut inside a couple of times and you thought you know hit it have a go and instead we would try and work the ball to the opposite side of the field and things like this right there just seems to be a real reluctance to to open up and shoot um now going back to cameron elliott right i think uh it's hard not to like what he does right he seems a very industrious player very willing runner um doesn't give the ball away easily either right he's not too sloppy with it uh, at the same time and you know not a bad first touch good in the air you know has a lot of you know pretty solid attributes the only thing you would say is he doesn't seem to have that x factor right he's not super tall so he's not like that sort of commanding hooban like presence in the air he's not all that quick right so he doesn't have the yard or two advantage on you know sort of slightly slower defenders and it's a little bit hard to tell his finishing ability because we haven't seen him you know in a position where he's had a lot of one-on-ones with goalkeepers or had an opportunity to get snapshots away and so i don't know like i say it's i like a lot of what he does and what he's got but might not just have that little bit of magic uh, i don't know i think that's something that we got to wait and see yeah i mean i suppose this conversation is also within the context i guess of um recent you know stories about pat hoban and his position in the team and who is going to be the successor if we need a successor i suppose we'll address the rumors which are swirling in a bit but i think it's unfair i would say it's unfair to compare any player or to talk about a player in the context of our greatest ever striker you know what i mean that's it, it's unfair on cami elliott to uh, does to, to talk about him in that life because you are comparing him to literally our best ever striker um and that, that you know just wouldn't do that but um 
I would say that I've, I've seen enough of Cami that I think he can definitely offer something. I, I, I mean, I agree with Martin. I think there's possibly not that X factor, but I would say maybe yes. And maybe I'm, I, I, you know, in, in the past, I've said this about players which are kind of maybe not setting the world on fire, but I see enough to say I'm always about patience and giving people time. But the, the problem with sport is it, if you give people too much time, then you are um, you're, you're you're seeding ground to the opposition. So you're like, if you say this player has potential, but if the results and performances aren't coming, you have to be ruthless. And this, this is why I would never be a football manager because I just wouldn't be ruthless enough to make these decisions. But I would say I've seen enough from Cammy Elliott that I would I, I I'd have a I, I'd be interested to see what could come next from him. It, it's similar with some other players. Like I mean, some other players who. Might have come in some criticism. Even some players in our defence, who and our defence has not been great. You say there could be more to come. And again, we always say, like for instance, uh, it was a period where, for instance, Chris Shields wasn't the most popular player uh, from the uh, from the crowds in Oriel Park, and we all know what happened there. So I would say, Cammy, I've seen enough to think that definitely, I think that there's there is there is more to come there. So I would definitely be interested to see where he could develop. But I think he's shown us enough, I think, to have faith. Because there's other times you see players and you're like, you know, that ain't working out. <laughs> but I, I, I think there's definitely, um, there's more to come there. Yeah, like as Dundalk fans, like, we've been absolutely spoiled over the last, you know, so many seasons for, for, for strikers. Like Patrick Hoobin, probably one of the best strikers that the league has ever seen. We've had David McMillan. We've had Georgie Kelly. Kieran Kildoff, that's the other one, yeah. Like so, even we've and we've even had a Shawnee McGuire, like you know. So, like the list is endless. Like you, you name like the best strikers that have that have come before, um, you know, in the last few seasons, right across the league, we've had them. We've had them in the squad. We've had them in the team. They've been scoring goals for us. So, you know, it, it's a, I, you know, I'm only messing, Ken. It's a very fair question because um, that's the kind of standard that you expect at Dundalk FC. So that's the seriousness of the question. So when you ask that kind of kind of question, it it is very very serious because you know we we look for a goal, we look for for a striker, you know, who can score goals and not just try their best. And I think I think there's lots to, to come from them. And I, I'll go to as far as to say that like I always think that players need the two seasons. So I think that you know it's not so much on the first season, you know, that you see a player, you know, getting to those levels, especially one coming from from outside league and from a from, from a lower standard as well. And um, so next season, you know, if he's getting, you know, if he's still here and he's getting a run, then you know that's when you can kind of kind of judge him. But as Martin said, he is he is that kind of striker that's kind of pulling defenses. Um, as he's playing, rather than, than a Pat Hoogan kind of um, kind of star, so it, it'd be an interesting one. I suppose on the back of the week that we've had, like and the rumor mill flying, and you know all sorts of you know uh, accusations been laid at, at at the club's doors about you know Pat Hoogan's playing his last game for for us at home and stuff like that. You know it um, it has people, I suppose, worried a bit. But um, yeah, no, I we wish him best. Obviously, you hope that he he, he will. 
you know, bang the goals. And I just haven't seen too much of it yet. So will the, the jury's still out for me, to be honest. It's not so much, um, is it Cammy or is it Pat that's the future? And we can get to all the rumours, the multitude of rumours that have been going on. As far as I'm aware, Patrick Oban's still under contract, so I'd expect him to be in the squad, uh, unless somebody wants to come in and pay a big transfer fee that we will have the discretion to take or leave. But I think Patrick definitely has another season in him. And I would expect to see him in Oriel Park. Uh, I, I don't think that that's going to change. But let's be real, you do need to begin to have a succession plan in mind. And you do, like Patrick Hogan has always had somebody who was there on his shoulder giving him competition for that place, be it David McMillan, be it Kieran Kilduff or whoever. Um, now, we all know, and this is a general observation. I mean, these guys, I don't think anybody is accusing any member of the squad of not putting it in or not making effort. I think we do have a bunch of players, as when you hear Paul Doyle talk or whatever, they are intelligent players. I think they're committed. They're seemingly, you know, great lads, great characters. Um, when you're evaluating the performance, I suppose we we mentioned Cameron's positive elements, but is the actual stats of goals and assists a little bit worrying here? It looks like, judging from from what we have in front of us, he's got one goal and three assists all season from a fairly considerable amount of football played. There's a come a point where you know that just falls below really what you're hoping for at Premier Division League of Ireland level, and you've got to look at another option. Or when you say, you know, these players have potential and 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 they can develop. You know, Stephen O'Donnell has said similar things. He said it about some of the younger players who've come in. Is there a risk that if you're training these guys up and waiting for them to develop to their full potential, that you'll continue to have seasons that are really kind of defined by inconsistency and, and mistakes. Well, the only thing I would say about that is um, the any Dundalk player, you know, and I think across the board were underperforming with shots and goals and stuff like this, is probably a victim of the fact that the entire team ethos seems to be a not to shoot <laughs> um you know a lot we mean we know that a huge amount of this season has been the kind of lateral passing and working the ball around 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 and we're screaming for this and uh just that lack of through the middle play and stuff. so i think the team has had a, an entirely you know stalled issue in the final third of the pitch so it i, I in a weird way i wouldn't like you know if, if a striker is low on goals, for instance. Um, I think there it that has to be taken in, in the context of the entire team and how we've been playing this season. We haven't exactly had the most direct style of play. Uh, we haven't really been great at penetrating into the box. We have relied a lot on this game plan of, you know, working the ball out wide and swinging it in. It doesn't really work for us. Um, and... You know, there has been this just general reluctance to have a go at goal um, that has, has been, I think, uh, indicative of a lot of our season. So in that way, again, maybe I'm being too kind here, but uh, I would say that for a player like that, but anyway, you know, the flip side of all this, um, amazingly, you know, for all Dundalk's woes, and again, that's my, maybe not something I'll come to in a bit, I think the air of negativity, given that we're fifth and that Pat Hoban is up in the upper echelons of the scoring, uh, you know, uh, chart for the year, which is uh, that, you know, the 
our team itself hasn't been particularly, you know, uh, prolific on putting the ball into the net. I think the style of play hasn't been very helpful for that. So again, that's where I'd be a little bit easy on someone like Cammy, in that he's in a mix where it'd be harder for him to get goals uh, in our current style of play and our current performances. I mean, I think what you're looking for, right, as a as a manager or even as a supporter, right, when you're throwing in somebody who's you know less experienced, is to you know see some quality about them that stands out that you say there's something there right you know something that they're doing you know that might not be hitting the back of the net but maybe they're causing lots of problems for the defense or maybe their you know physical presence is just causing you know the the opposition lots of problems and freeing up space for other people um like i say we think you know cameron i it's running into the channels does a little bit of that but you'd also say that you know the, the stats don't lie right that he's not scoring a whole lot of goals he's not creating a whole lot of assists and you know you're right at some stage you have to make a judgment call and say you know are those runs into the channel enough or does he have to be delivering more um i think there's a couple of other options out there right i think uh we've seen a few you know uh cameos shall we say from sam durant uh he definitely seems that the ability right he's got a bit of pace i would say that is his x factor right he is a, a level of pace about his game that frightens the opposition a little bit and puts them on the back foot. I think he also, we've seen him go on slaloming runs, right? Where against Cork, he scored that goal where he beat, you know, four or five players. I think even when he came on last night, right? He, you know, showed that he's got a lot of that and he's got a finishing ability, right? So we saw against Sligo on the pitch for two, three minutes, goal in the back of the net, right? He was the one player who was on hand to put the ball in there. He was the one who was willing to shoot, you know, instead of, you know, thinking about it, this kind of thing. And so I kind of interested right he's not a big physical presence but i think it'd be interesting to give sam durant a shot up front you know i think a lot of people talked about uh dickie kelly having a go up front as well right as a sort of lone striker from those i think you know maybe once or twice we saw him you know sort of played up front uh, i think dickie really suffers from that lack of physical presence right very easy for you know big opposition defenders to you know bully him about a bit i think sam durant bit more interesting like definitely if we could play the ball on the ground into channels and stuff like that i think he could be really dangerous as a, a forward but um there are some other options out there right i think speculated wildly about uh rory keating at cork you know if uh, he was to, to move on at some stage i think there's a bit of talk as well uh, in the first division about francois perot at athlone town that um you know you, you talk about somebody who is big and bullying defenders and stuff like that and has an eye for goal right I think Athlone out of the playoffs right as of last night. And I think I would be very surprised if he's not playing football in the Premier Division next year. So um, I don't know, like the, the the future is still, you know, bright here and there, uh, depending on what happens. Like we're, we're not out of options. And as you say, right, Pat Hubin is still under contract at this club. Um, I've been a bit critical right, of him over the past, you know, six, seven weeks. I certainly don't think he's played his best football. Uh, I can understand why he might not be in, being picked in the first team, you know, as a result. But he does have that X factor, right? He shows you, you know, sort of, uh, even when he's not playing well, he has the ability to get a goal run. I thought the the draw the game was an excellent example of that, right? Didn't do a whole lot during the game, but he was on hand at the back post to nod in that goal. And I think that's what he brings to the team, right? Even if he's not having a great game, he can still get on the score sheet. We saw that instantly. I think part of the thing about dropping Pat Hoban is we, we kind of have an insight into his character. Uh, Pat Hoban will not like being on the bench and it will motivate him. And we saw that when he was strung from the bench, immediate literal impact, ball delivered into the box. He fights for it. He competes for it and he gets to Paul Doyle. 
Paul Doyle finishes very, very cleanly and that puts us ahead. And we have seen so many times like games have been in the balance and you kind of have a sense. And Bohemians had those chances in the first minute. If Bows go ahead, it's going to be their night. But when we got our noses in front, I think Bows came at us, but they really couldn't do anything any different. And for a defence which has frequently failed throughout the season, uh, you have to give them some credit because in that Bohemians attack, there was Dylan Conley, who's absolutely got buckets of pace, Afalobi, who combines pace with strength, and they really didn't get in that much. And you know, even Grant, who's returning, having had an illustrious career, you didn't really notice his presence on the field last night, nor was Jordan Flores very conspicuous, and we know how he can influence a game. But one person I thought who did have a very good game and was sprung from the bench for us when Louis Ainsley got injured was Paul Doyle. And I don't think people have fully given him credit for his assist for uh, Daniel Kelly's goal. It's a really pinpoint, incisive uh, pass, the type of pass that we have not seen. You mentioned about Dickie Kelly in that centre-forward role. That was a that was a trademark Dickie Kelly goal. If he gets the right ball true to him, nobody can really contend with him for pace. We've seen him sort of beat back forwards, um, beat the offside trap, and once he's clear on goal, you know he he can often make that finish. Um, so a good night for him, but I thought particularly a good night for Paul Doyle. Now, saying that, the game was so uneven. It's been characteristic of the season throughout. There's been some debate, has it been a good season? Has it been a bad season? We see that almost everybody has flattered to deceive and Shamrock Rovers have again strolled to another title without there ever really being a serious contender that put it up to them. Every time that they slipped up, Derry obliged them by slipping up. Pats, who had a very rocky start to the campaign and sacked their manager, somehow kind of tumbled into the top three in contention. Shelburne now, who have been let's face it, they've progressed from that anti-football stance that they had in Damien Duff's first season to something a little bit more progressive, but very, very, you know, prone to draws. Like they have had 15 draws from the 35 games they've played. Quite efficient, you know, quite, but not really all that entertaining. They find themselves in fourth position. Uh, and, and there we are now level with Bose. So, I mean, almost everybody had a couple of moments, but generally speaking, it's been a... a a season where we flattered to deceive. We kind of saw that last night. The Sligo game and the Bohemians game sort of typified that sort of mid-table vibe where there was periods in the game, you can look on the negatives and you look at look on the positives. There was periods in the game where both sides were relentlessly turning over possession and we would have sloppy passes that were going to the Bohemians players and they would immediately oblige us by giving it straight back again. And I think we just managed to get it together a little bit more than they did. But when you look back on this season as a whole, that's kind of been the story of it. And a lot of the big moments whereby our season could have gone in an upward trajectory, we sort of didn't take those opportunities. Like the game in Galway, let's not go there again. But that was a big, big opportunity. Then we just didn't rise to the occasion. The game against Shelburne a couple of weeks ago was another opportunity like that. And probably the biggest opportunity that we didn't take was when we were playing KA in Europe, which would have been a massive payday that could have certainly dealt considerably to give us a better budget next year. And that was also an opportunity not taken. So while there is, you you've guys have talked about young players and promising talent and some coherence to the performance, there is this sort of there is a sense that now as we come to the end of the season with only the slimmest of chances of Europe, that perhaps we've missed an opportunity there. Oh, definitely. And one of the things I would say is 
like I, I saw someone one time, uh, someone on Twitter said a while ago that um, fans of teams who had a bad season always say it's been a bad league this year or whatever. But I would say we watched Dundalk week in, week out, and we're fifth knocking on the door of fourth, and not by a significant margin of third and second. And we have not been particularly good this season. So I think there's something to say for fans of a team saying, we ain't been that great. And like we shouldn't be where we are in a, in a strong league. And some of the things like the, the go-away cup performance, KA, like for all the kind of, and I, I always do, I, I, I do say we should focus on the positives. And I think the last, the end of the season has seen a bunch of wins, like, you know, Cork, Drogheda, Sligo, and as Martin said, to, to beat a team above us. But then the KAs, the 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 Galway one, and I would say as well, like the the Shelburne result, like we were so flat that Shelburne game, and that's a game where you really need to be winning. Like the Bows one, and I think the Bows one was really important. Um, but had that been coupled with a result against Shells, you were really showing intent there. But you know the 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 disaster results like Galway and KA, but then almost more significant than the disaster results are the low humming regular just games where we just look flat. You know, we can talk about incorrect positional play. We can talk about the defense being at odds. But some of those games like. The Shelburne game, the energy was being drawn out of us, you know, as fans. Just the flatness was incredible. Um, so all of those have been kind of, you know, uh, uh, indicative of the fact that we have not had a vintage season. That said, and I know we're going to get to it eventually, I don't think it warrants the level of negativity which is swirling around uh, the club. Um Genuinely, and I'm not just saying this. I'm not. I'm not a happy, clappy, head in the sand type person. I go and I watch all the games. <laughs> For most of the season, it has not been an enjoyable experience to watch them dog FC. But as an entire project this season, you know, just say, just say we finished fifth or whatever, with probably not some great selections and some, you know pretty kind of flat performances throughout the season, sprinkled in with some disastrous performances. People talk in apocalyptic terms about not making Europe. And I know I'm I'm probably stretching into the next part of our conversation. But the one thing that strikes me is that if you are following a football club and you're thinking in such black or white apocalyptic terms about if we don't get Europe, because I know some fans say if we don't get Europe, it is like they're staring into the void of voids. I would find another hobby. I would generally find something else to do with your time because my friends, you know, how long have you been a Dundalk fan? You know, um, but it just seems that, I mean, someone said earlier on about we've been spoiled and I do think possibly we're spoiled by the, the, the previous decade, but this kind of apocalyptic thinking that this project of a club is over because we didn't make Europe. And I'd also say a strange X factor to this is, Last season was such a bizarre outlier of a season in that we went into last season not expecting to finish where we finished. Possibly, because I would say Stephen O'Donnell, new owners, 
rebuilding from the ashes of peak six and we're like holy moly we we finished you know uh in a european spot which was like possibly you know like i think at the start of the season we're like you know this is going to be a fifth or a sixth thing this is a this is a multi and we can also get into a conversation about what the expectations of the owners were but i think fans were expecting a multi-year process we jumped the gun on that and i think that has possibly tinted people's view of this season i'm not trying to paper over cracks i'm not trying to sugarcoat anything as i said i watch this team week in week out it ain't that enjoyable but it's also not the apocalypse we might as well progress on to the big off-field story of the week i suppose there has been rumors circulating that we could have a change of ownership on now this is a big big moment and it's probably the reason that the rumor mill has gone into absolute overdrive and we've heard all sorts of stories some of them quite interesting uh, everybody from conor mcgregor to chinese syndicates are about to come in and take over dundalk fc from what we can gather there are several parties who are interested in taking over the club it may seems to most of these scenarios seem to involve uh the possible departure of stat sports and the conley fast fix faction of the board remaining in place or perhaps also departing there's been a kind of a, an undercurrent of dissatisfaction and i think it's probably down to the fact that we we looking back at last year a lot of things went in our favor we've commented before um the signings all seemed to work out every player brought in contributed it and we ended up finishing joint second in Stephen O'Donnell's first year from a position whereby what we had four players signed or something like that at Christmas to finishing level with Derry City who were a money bag squad that had picked the cream of our squad um, and they had you know been the obvious challengers to Shamrock Rovers so we do get you know expectations rising to meet that now undoubtedly going from that position joint second last year down to fifth this year it will be a disappointment because the fans always want to see things moving forward. But we're well aware there is sometimes second season syndrome, things which worked out the first year and were carried along by energy and enthusiasm didn't quite work out this year. If stat sports are departing, I suppose it's it's understandable in a way. Now, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems to me, and we've discussed this before, the model in which our club has usually run with the exception of the peak six era is we've got the fan base and they contribute to principally season ticket sales and ticket sales and a little bit of merchandise and maybe attending the odd fundraiser their sponsorship and then whoever is the steward of the club usually a consortium of local business people they're putting their own money in and stat sports i think you've got to give them credit because they rescued the club they were the ones that were there to take on the club after peak six had made an absolute mess of it now you're going to have to restrain me from going on the tangent to just say how exactly they had made a mess of it from a position of absolute dominance to a position whereby we became an object of ridicule for our rivals and we gifted many of our most talented players to them and we brought a year an era of unparalleled success to an undignified conclusion. I'll say no more than that. Stat Sports came in. They don't have pockets as deep as Peak Six, whose pockets were fairly infinitely deep. So there was cutbacks obviously going to be made and you had a smaller budget. But for that smaller budget, I think we achieved a return to Europe, which everybody thought was a decent result. 
Now, it's not as if they lost interest after one season, cut the budget and sort of began to neglect the club. The budget, I'm told, was around about the same or even maybe slightly more. And I think we can all, from what we've seen on the pitch, we can conclude that simply some of the way in which we invested in the players, um, the injuries that we had, the inconsistency that crept into the performances and results as a car, as a as a result of that, not taking the opportunity that we had in Europe to progress another round. It simply means that our league position reflects this. The return on investment hasn't been what it was the previous season. Now, any owner is going to face this situation then. If you miss that target, you look at the balance sheet. You are plowing your own money into making up a deficit whereby we haven't got a six-figure payoff for going another round in Europe and our prize money is less and the prospect of getting more money from Europe next year seems to have gone as well. It hangs by the thinnest of treads. And you're probably thinking to yourself, am I going to continue to pour money from my money-making business into Dundalk FC with the prospect that you know this will just continue until it begins to affect my actual viable business? Or do I look for somebody to maybe take over this or come on board to share this burden? Because for Dundalk FC to be competitive, it seems that you need to have somebody who is willing to sink hundreds of thousands of their own money into the club with a high probability that they will get nothing back in return other than perhaps the ridicule of angry fans should it go wrong. So we know that peak six, we know that stat sports have been looking around for investment. We had the whole situation blow up and that met with a sort of almost reflexive borderline hysterical response because we all thought some sort of sneaky takeover was being done and we'd be back to foreign ownership and we'd be back to the bill situation. I would still maintain that our fans, the fan base, is traumatized by what happened in the bill era of peak six. I know I am myself. But if there is some sort of takeover mooted, can you understand why it would be taking place? Do you think Statsports can maybe hand over the club and be relatively proud of the record that they have? Um, Do you understand any of the anger and negativity that's going on about the communications vacuum? All those questions about the takeover, what are your views? Well, I would say a few things. On, for instance, Statsports record, and I'm going to say like a yin and yang thing here. I'm going to give both sides to it. From the get-go, they always said they were looking for further investment. That's the one thing that I think Dundalk fans seem to have memory hold. That from day one, Statsports said that they were looking for further investment. You know what I mean? And I, I, the other thing I would say is that Statsports don't own the club. They are investors in the club um, officially. They don't, Statsports don't own the club. It's a consortium, but um, they're investors. And remember when, when they came out with the, during the era, during, when, the, when the whole owners... And the battle was going on. Um, they reiterated something. That statement that, that they released at that time got lambasted. And I, I defended it. I thought they were being very honest. They said, we've always said we're looking for investment. And they were. I don't know. They, they never. I think the Nug fans have a different version of events who are a bit more critical of Satsworth. They said from day one, they've stepped in, but they're looking for further investment. So I would, I would give them kudos for that. The flip side, though, is, as you said, though, like, 
they must have done their homework on the scenario they were stepping into and the reality of League of Ireland ownership. Because if you think about some other clubs in the League of Ireland and the owners, I mean, the, the eternal question is why do you invest in a League of Ireland club? Because the lightning in a bottle is Dundalk 2016. I, I, mean, I, I, I saw a tweet recently, by the way, which is um, Dundalk 2016 made three million in profit. I think Rovers 2020, 2021 made 1.6 million in profit. And I think Bose have made 1.2 million in profit. And that's based off the, the Doherty salon. Okay. So somebody said like, the, the, the three biggest profits in League of Ireland history are Dundalk 2016, Rovers, and then Bose. And Bose is based off the, 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 the Doherty salon fee. So other than that, there's no other, you know, uh, no one gets out alive, uh, to quote uh, Jim Morrison. Um, even successful with the shells of the mid 2000s, whatever, and all these kind of things. No one gets out with money. 2016 is this mad outlier based on the Europa League thing. Okay. So, why do you invest? And if you're a dairy billionaire and you've got that much money, it's a kind of a, um, it's it's almost it's kind of a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's kind of almost a charitable endeavor. If you're talking about like Callagher at, at Pats or things like this, it's like are they expecting one day to make money out of it, or is it something which is, you know, a community gesture or something like this? If you're in it for money, which you know, I think Peak Six saw some kind of money train, and I think the only way a League of Ireland club makes money is through regular European appearances. Okay. So that's what you're banking. Did Start Sports do their homework on what League of Ireland ownership entails? And were they expecting, as you said, you know, if you're business people and you're investing in something, you invest in something that you expect to get a return. Or do you invest because it's not about profit, it's about doing the right thing? I don't know. What I'm about to say here is I don't know. It's pure speculation based on you know, what we've observed, which is this, and what I've heard, and what has circulated on online, and when you talk to people in pubs and stuff like this, or you talk to people in the ground, which is after their initial investment, interest cooled. And you get the feeling, oh no, I, I need to go back to my original point, which is that they've always said they wanted more investment. You get the feeling from what's going on at the moment is that they very much would like investment so they could pull out. Is it naivety? What did they expect was going to happen? Uh, I, I say something last year. Someone came to me again, and some Dundalk fans are prone to this kind of apocalyptic thinking that if we don't make Europe, stat sports are gone, right? And I always thought to myself, if they were clever businessmen, which I believe them to be because they've built a very successful business, if you're investing in a football club, you're looking at at least a five-year kind of plan because last year was an outlier. Do you really get into the FC thinking, we're back in Europa League next year, we're going to get into the group stages and the money's going to come flowing in? I would say they didn't. So I'd be surprised if the eject button is being hit in a panicked way because surely they must have known that if you get involved in an endeavour like this, you're looking at multiple years before you see fruit. So I I would tend to be of the kind of thing that I think some of the fans are being a bit too 
panic-stricken about the endeavor. But then again, the the smoke signals, everything we've heard around the campfire is that they do want out. Um, that seems a bit odd to me that they would have such short-term thinking on this project. I think you're right, Rory, what you say, like uh, that we have forgotten that uh, you know, that sports always said that they were looking for ex, um, you know, external investment, other, you know, other money, other revenue to come in from outside the club. But what they never said was that, you know, if that money comes in, that they were going to stick around. So I think this is this whole thing where people talk about stat sports, you know, taking over the club. I don't think they've ever, you know, you know, outlined a long term, you know, plan for it. Another question, you know, that that arises from 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 all this is we always talk about stat sport, and you're rightly rightly so worried. It is a consortium, and how much money have stat sport actually put in in since since I suppose the takeover? Because we have to remember. Was it wasn't there something like 1.4 million left in the coffers from peak six when they left? So it's not as if there was no money in the club. So my my question would be how much that 1.4 million is left and how much was actually put in since then? Because that 1.4 million is still there, and the two budgets were put in by our you know consortium, uh, you know, our consortium backers across the two years, or is it just that that money has you know been used and obviously the, the, the European money has come in? So, like, I mean. I, I mean, people are getting up to getting, I suppose, when when they hear that stat sports are pulling out. Like, I mean, I don't know whether they're pulling out. I, I think that they're looking for outside investment. And I think that they're busy people. They have their own successful business. And, you know, I, I think that for, possibly that they're just custodians in terms of like they come in, steady the ship. They know they can do that. Look for the outside investment through the contacts that they have within the soccer world. And then off they go, but um, it'd be really interesting to see because, like, I think from from listening to you know or reading between the lines, there is going to be um, outside investment, you know, and somebody is going to you know, and I'm going to say this on the record, hopefully invest in the club because we we need investment, and I think sometimes what happens in Dundalk is people, you know, they hear oh, you know, there's such and such is you know going to invest, and you know, this I mean if somebody wants to invest. This is going back to your question, Marie. Why would somebody invest in a League of Ireland club? It's not to make profit. It's not to make the Champions League, the Europa League, or possibly even the Conference League. I, I, I you know, it's if it's somebody local, then it's possibly something you know to do. You know, put putting something back into the community. But if we're being realistic, it's probably just a vanity project. It's something to make them feel good. It's something that you know they want to say, well, look. I, you know, I, I went into this situation, which is really difficult, and I kind of enjoyed it because I look forward to the challenge, and you know, uh, and this is what I did. It didn't work out, or it did work out. So I don't think anybody, you know, I think you know, is coming in to do, you know, bring us to Champions League, you know, heights or anything like that. I, I just think it most likely would be um, some form of vanity project. So investment, we need it. <clears throat> we do need investment. You look at Oriel Park. You know, you look at where we are. And whether you like the idea of investment or you don't like the idea of investment, we actually, we 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 do need it. Where that investment comes from? Well, beggars can't be choosers. So that investment comes wherever it comes from. And you just have to keep your fingers crossed and hope that it's good investment. Hope that it doesn't head down the route of the, of, uh, you know, the peak six shambles that we had, or should I say the Bill Hullsizer, uh, Matt Hullsizer, um, you know, bonding, uh, you know, that, 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 you know, that's where it goes all wrong for you. But um, 
yeah, it's a really, really interesting question of why somebody would want to take over um, any any League of Ireland club. Uh, I, I don't know whether that sports are the bad guys in all this for not, you know, for looking for the outside investment. I just don't think that the sentence was finished. I think that they're looking for outside investment so they could take a step back because they never really took a step forward. Like we, we haven't really heard anything from Stat Sports. You know, when we were at the games, we don't see them there, you know. So like they're kind of like this part of the consortium that, that, that aren't really ever there. We don't hear anything from them, you know. Um, so they're never visible on the ground. So, I mean, I, I just think that that possibly was, was part of our plan, you know, all along was just to kind of get the investment and then kind of row out gently. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but um, it's all speculation. But I do think that Dundalk fans, you know, when in, in a vacuum like that, that the, the rumour mill just starts going crazy. And I'll leave it on this. Uh, when we, we were in the pub last night and there was a couple of uh, older gentlemen leaving and uh, you know, we're having the, the laugh and we were kind of saying, oh, yeah, see you next year. And Conor McGregor will be running the club like and they were like, ha, 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 laugh, laugh. I said, well, it doesn't really matter who's running the club. One of them said, you know, we'll all be back up anyway in Oriel on Friday nights. And that's just Dundalk fans. We, we will be there on Friday nights no matter who's running the club because we just want to see Dundalk do well. You know, I, I think maybe to some degree that there might be some caution or fear in the, the backs of people's minds that the terms of investment in the League of Ireland have changed a bit, right, in the, the past few years. And I think that might be down to our old friend uh, Bill Holzheiser on <laughs> this kind of thing. Because I think there was a time, you know, midway through the, the last decade where it was well known that, you know, most top half teams in the League of Ireland were making a loss. But that loss was around about 300,000 euros a year, right? And so you had people like Gary Kelleher at Pats dropping 300,000 a year into the club. Um, at Rovers, you know, they were losing at least 300,000 a year. We were, you know, probably spending more than that in some cases, although, you know, big profit in 2016 filled the coffers a little bit, you know, again in 2020, getting into the Europa League, reasonable return there. And then you mentioned, right, that there's the Rovers profit in 2021. There's the Bulls profit, you know, through the Matt Doherty sale and stuff like that, right? So there's, you know some uh you know uh there's something going into the black but there's an awful lot of red you know sort of throughout there as well but i think what happened with the the bill hall side of the situation right is that wages were pushed up you know around players and stuff like that over the period of his tenure and you know we certainly can say that that was not necessarily for quality players but i think it was pushed up across the board right i think we saw more investment at shamrock rovers and stuff like that you know when they were gifted you know our best players and stuff like that like they didn't go to rovers for a pay cut either and I think Rover's budget became inflated. Uh, I think our budget remained, you know, a little bit inflated compared to where it had been, you know, midway through the past decade. And I think other clubs like, you know, Pats and Derry and stuff like that, you know, uh, I think the Derry story at the stage is sort of well understood as well that they have, you know, somebody who has very deep pockets, but their budget is also like up fairly significantly. But I think that means for the likes of us in 2023, you're not talking about somebody, you know, funneling 300,000 euros into the club anymore. You're talking about somebody you know, putting six figures uh, or seven figures, sorry, I should say, uh, like millions into the club per year. And I can understand why there might be the odd investor who says, ah, you know, I was prepared for the, the vanity project at 300,000 euros a year, but I'm not prepared for the vanity project at a million a year. And, you know, there's a story last week as well that the Comer brothers uh, have funneled, you know, a million euro loss into Galway this season, right, as well in the first division, right? That is definitely eyebrow raising amounts of money. Um, and it's no surprise to me, I think, that you hear stories, you know, at the, the likes of Sligo and stuff like that, where they're struggling, you know, to find ways to put that amount of money into the club 
to keep them competitive. And um, I think the overall worrying picture right throughout the league is that that hasn't seen a corresponding increase in quality, right? I, I think we've talked a lot about uh, what we feel about the, the league this season, right? And Rory mentioned earlier that this like tempting for us to be negative and say the league is very poor this season because we're very poor. But I don't think we're alone in saying that, right? I, I honestly said this season at Oriel, I have witnessed some of the worst games I have seen in 10 years, right? We had two games at home to Sligo Rovers, right? One of them we lost and one of them we won. But I honestly have not seen quality that low in a long, long time. Like two teams that could not string three passes together, like kicking the ball out of play when aiming for each other. I think the Kawa game as well that we watched, right? Very low quality. Like we looked extremely poor and so did they. Like for a European tie, you know, you actually had to sort of pinch yourself and say, we are playing in the second round of European competition and both these teams look really woeful, right? And that's by comparison. Uh, you know, we, we said, okay, you can't always compare to the, the teams and the squads that have gone by. But we also said like, that's where your standards lie. When we played even the likes of... Um, Vitesse Arnhem, right? Maybe not in our biggest, you know, purple patch, but the quality of football that we played against them, both in Arnhem and in Tala, right? We really raised the game to a new level where, you know, we had that sort of precision passing, you know, that we really stretched and attacked them. And you didn't see any of that sloppy play, you know, people really, you know, approach their peak for those games. And I don't think at any stage this season, we've seen that quality of football. Like often it's quite the opposite that, you know, actually we seem to be at a nadir in terms of that kind of quality and not just in dog, right? I mean, the, the quality of the opposition too, we've had to sit through some really bad games. Um, and I think there's lots of other complaints across the league as well, right? I think there's Shamrock Rovers fans who say like they are miles off the team that they were in 2020 and 2021. Um, and I think Derry, right? We, <laughs> we constantly look at them as saying, you know, when are they going to challenge for the title? And they are limping over the line, right? In both seasons. And again, top scorer, you know, uh, their league top score seven goals you know this kind of thing right it's just it's it's not good quality and it's not good quality throughout the league so that investment that is taken at the moment it's more costly for owners and the return is worse right and so i think there are some genuine reasons why people might be cautious about continuing to invest uh, in dundalk and in the, the wider league just to come in on that there seems to be an expectation that whoever is in charge of the Dock FC, they kind of have a moral obligation to plow money into the club. And we kind of take umbrage whenever somebody says, no, I've kind of had enough of that. And there does seem to be a life cycle if you look back at our ownership. Now, the, the one the one exception I'll make, I, we were and I was quite hard on Peak Six because Peak Six were exceptional. They, they inherited a club that was like the Rolls Royce, all conquering force in League of Ireland with an absolutely gargantuan bank balance. And all you had to do is not mess it up. And they messed it up spectacularly and they wasted all that money. And I think it was might have been Jerry Malone who kind of put the final dot on their essay saying we have absolutely nothing to show now for this golden period of success. But generally speaking, other owners come into the club in various different ways. We had fan ownership models, which like the, under the co-op, they raised money through the share issue. People paid 100 euro or 100 punt, I think it was. That was our war chest for the season. But once that was spent, the co-op limped along for a while, but then began to look desperately for somebody to take over the club because they could not finance it anymore. I think that person was eventually Jerry Matthews, who saw it as a business opportunity, a successful businessman, 
took it in, applied what he knew about business, ran the club rather successfully for a year or two, but then also saw this cliff, this financial cliff, whereby he realized, I can't continue to put money in here now that there's a downturn in the economy and his other business enterprises were not, you know, as successful as they had been due to the economic downturn. And we can go back through history or we could go forward to more current eras. It seems that whoever steps in to run the club, they have a certain limited time in which they can give it the attention and the finance that it deserves before they have to kind of hand it over rather like a relay baton to somebody else who's going to take that on. Now the question sort of emerges, and just to finish up on Statsports, if this is to be the end of their contribution, I think they deserve a little bit of credit for essentially not being peak six. Uh, and, and, and that I'm going to highlight, I mean, we remember the talk of phones in the dugout, players being signed by the chairman, the dismissal of a manager who wanted to do things his way and the appointment of a manager who was essentially a yes man who would follow orders from Florida. Um, absolute disastrous recruitment, as you've said, and exorbitant amount of money paid. People brought into the club in administrative roles who seem to have been very bad value for money as well. Um, we didn't get any of that from Stat Sports, as far as I'm aware. We didn't get any meddling or interference in the dressing room. I think the manager was left alone to recruit his staff and recruit his players. He seemed to be backed both financially and also, you know, as regard, regards morally backed as well. Um, and they have put in a fairly decent budget, but albeit not a peak six sized one because we simply don't have those resources in stat sports. Um, but like, I mean, I'm not, some people are kind of, they take umbrage with the fact that they, the current board haven't been visible and they haven't been vocal and they haven't been, you know, in the media and they haven't been given interviews. I would take all of that silence for them to not be in the dressing room, because I think that is the main, that is the main quality you're looking for in an owner is someone who isn't going to be an arrogant ignoramus who comes in and tries to play a fantasy manager. Turning to who may be our next regime. I also, just one more thing, on the pessimism of the League of Ireland, I don't take it as inevitable that the League of Ireland will always be this backwater of European football. And this one goes out to the investors who may be out there. There is an opportunity in League of Ireland football. We are the most inexpensive route into European prize money that you will find on the continent. We are also this country that has a vast audience for football, which is generally untapped by the domestic market because all the attention and investment, emotional investment goes usually into the English Premier League. But there is potential here. This is why I kind of thought peak six might be the ones to actually unlock that. We don't have modern facilities. We all know that. We don't have a great standard of football because we probably haven't invested in the infrastructure to create better, more technically gifted players. But all of that is possible with investment. We can do what Iceland did. We can do what basically every other small European country has already done in collaboration with government and municipalities. We can build the infrastructure. We can coach the players. We can raise the standards. It just takes somebody who essentially isn't peak six. <laughs> it takes somebody who has a long-term vision and can actually pursue that. So, you know, that is the potential of, of, of League of Ireland football. It is an underinvested in an underdeveloped resource. We're fanatical about it. 
but the entire country could be fanatical about it if stadia were better and the quality of football were better and of course the magic the holy grail as soon as a league of ireland team makes it into the champions league group stages and gets all that attention and that glamour and that exposure we'll see an earthquake as regards a transformation in irish footballing culture uh, the interest in the general public will suddenly switch over to the domestic game we saw a little tremors of that when we almost did it in 2016 that is for me the long-term destination the promised land where you want to move this league to and so although we might based on past history think there's no real financial dividend in investing in league of ireland football you will you will drain away all the money that you're making in your good business on essentially a a, a business that just sucks up money and then discards you and probably you know tarnishes your reputation for having got in there in the first place I still think it's possible to invest in League of Ireland football in the long term sensibly and make it work. Um, that being said, what sort of qualities do you want to see if we are to have new owners? What do you want them to absolutely prioritise? What do you want them not to do? Well, I, I said you made some interesting points there, which was, I suppose, just the yin-yang thing here, which was peak six meddled too much in things. And one of the things I have heard floating around is the accusation that the stat sports guys were nowhere to be seen. Okay. Bill was too visible. <laughs> stat sports are not visible enough. You know what I mean? Whatever. But I would say that we all knew that what Andy and Paul had done financially, but you never heard from them during the golden era. We never ever heard from Andy and Paul, you know what I mean? They were visible around the club because they were fans and you knew they were there, but they never meddled or talked about anything. It was Stephen Kenny was the face and voice of the club and the players did the talking on the pitch. So I, I would agree with that, which is in a way you shouldn't want your owners, any fans of a football club shouldn't want the owners to be in anywhere visible. I mean, that, that's, the, the, that, that's the thing you don't want. And um, so this strange thing about the stats for skies are invisible. I think what that means is what Dundalk fans really think is that they didn't put enough money in. Uh, and as you said, we definitely did have, you know, somewhat competitive budgets over the last two years. We've made the argument on this podcast that the um, the acquisitions were the incorrect acquisitions. But I don't know this. I don't know enough to say how much money they did or didn't put in. But on the non-visibility thing, I think you're dead right that I don't really want the because they're not actually actual owners, but I don't want like part owners of the club of any football club. I, I think you should never know about that. You should know about the manager and the players. You shouldn't really know about the people behind the scenes. And with Andy and Paul, think back on that whole period, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, you, well, uh, up to 2016, you never heard from them ever. Uh, so that's the first quality I would want. I definitely would not want them in any way involved in... I mean, the, the other thing is I would say, with the, the whole Hull owners uh, situation, I think one problem with that situation is that we were still traumatised. So I think the dog fans were just... Whatever, whatever deal they were bringing to the table, it was just like we, are, we were in PTSD from the, from the peak six thing. The, 
the other thing was the really worrying things we had heard from Hull's manager and stuff like this. You know what I mean? This idea that we would have to play a certain way. We were like, oh my God, you know, nothing to do with us. So I would want um, any future investor to, the first thing to, to them to know what they're getting involved in, to understand the budget that is required in 2023 slash 24 for a competitive League of Ireland side, which you know Martin, I think has made some really great points on, which is the goalposts have shifted on that. So an owner coming in should know the reality of being a top three League of Ireland club, um, what the risks are, to not be vocal or involved in any way, in even in acquisitions. I would say that the that the investor shouldn't have in any way either through the peak six era of having a, having a chairman who has some weird vested interest in making the picks themselves like it's fantasy football or in the situation like the the whole situation where your owners have a material interest in the signings in that we're going to place players from our academy in with you and we're going to take out the players that we think are interesting so i think the owners should have nothing to do with uh, with signings at all. Um, they should trust the manager and your director of football with the budget they're given. Uh, that's what I would like to see. I would like to see them have no other input in on-field matters. And listen, I'm about to mention the massive elephant in the room, which is some kind of commitment on something to do with Oriel Park. Yeah, okay, I'm going to come in there on, on that because I don't fully either understand or agree what you mean about, you know, I think, I, I'll be honest with you, when I say stat sports aren't um, are, aren't visible in the club, what, what I don't mean that they haven't got enough money and that's not what I mean. Um, I just mean that they need to be a bit more visible at the club. I mean, like that, that they are there, um, that they, they that they're, it's a it's a tough one to, to put my finger on, okay? Because um, like as you say, you never heard about the uh, the previous owners when we went on our European run, but they were always there. I mean, I'd walk up the Carrick Road and you'd see Stephen Kenny outside with them, so they were always there. They were always contactable. They were always on the premises and they were always involved. That's the first thing I'd like to see. I'm not saying that I'd like to see investors coming in and living in Oriel Park, but what I'm saying is that, that that they're there, that they're invested in the club, that they're invested in, you know, the, the you know, in part of that culture around Oriel Park. Because you pointed out earlier on, Rory, like there was parts of the season where we were very, very flat. Um, you know, and I mean, if I was invested in or in, in Dundalk FC, if I was putting money into Dundalk FC, I would in no way want to be that football manager. But I would like to be the CEO that would want to know why things aren't actually, you know, happening. Maybe that did happen. Maybe, you know, maybe Sports called, you know, uh, Stephen O'Donnell in and said to him, look, there's a couple of results here and we need to, you know, we need to have a, you know, like an appraisal here to find out, you know, are you meeting your targets because we're meeting our targets. And from from talking, you know, to people in the, in the community and talking to people, you know, around, that doesn't seem to have, have happened and I, 
and I think that maybe Stephen O'Donnell possibly was out there too much on his own. You know, he, you know, not only is he the manager of the, of the football team, but he is the manager of everything that is an Oriole. Whereas when Stephen Kenny was there, that wasn't really the case because Stephen was always had the ear of the owners. And I think that's a fine balance between that. I understand what you're saying about you definitely don't want, you know, the, the, the fantasy football owner, you know, somebody who thinks that they can acquire players and somebody who thinks that they can, you know, make suggestions of what happens on the training ground or on the pitch but at the same time i think that there has to be a little bit more of an involvement it, it, it's a hard one to, to put my finger on and i just don't think that stat sports you know i, I, I to be honest i don't think that they they were involved enough not i, I not financially or anything like that but i just think personally in, involved much and I, i'm not having a go with them i mean these are guys that are running you know a global um a global enterprise so uh, yeah you know they, they probably have have done their best um you know and so, so be it but I, I what i would like to see is, is someone coming in you know that understands league of Ireland football understands as ken said earlier on that there is a route to actually making some form of success from it that you could you know could be regulars within the european uh, uh game every year get a return from it and that we challenge in that way and i think that it is a huge potential in the marketplace for for league of ireland teams because i think that if all teams are doing well the, the standard of the league comes up because the standard of the league did go up when we were in europe cork were really really good you know um and i think that the standard has actually dropped and you can only you can judge the standard on, on how well you you do in europe i think but um that's what i would like and definitely some form of you know something to do with oriel park or something to do with you know an, an investment in facilities it doesn't have to be a new stadium it doesn't have to be a tala-esque job it's just something that you know that that makes going to oriel park a little bit more attractive possibly to those who might not go to oriel park yeah like if i can come in there damien i think the the magical quality you're touching on there is leadership right and i think the club was blessed between 2013 and 2017 with Stephen Kenny, right? Who just, you know, had nothing but leadership, right? He couldn't help himself. Even you look at his program notes, right? He couldn't stop getting involved in things that were wider than just the club and like giving his opinion on like how that translated into what the club should be doing and what the people of Dundalk should be doing and what his team should be doing and stuff like that, right? He, he just personified uh, that kind of thing right so we didn't need owners in that case who were visible because Stephen Kenny was the man who was providing all of that leadership uh, and it was amazing right he was a, a sort of one in a, a generation uh, kind of person um, and I think I, I'm going to do something weird here I'm going to say that Bill Holzeiser was also like a personification of leadership too now the vision that Bill espoused was absolutely insane right but you couldn't doubt that he definitely had a vision he had no trouble telling people what his vision was and he had no trouble trying to pursue that vision right um the only difficulty was it was completely like off the charts madness um and i think there's room for i think a reasoned critique of paul brown and andy Connolly's ownership uh in the earlier period right because for all of the success we had there wasn't a lick of paint uh put on oriel park in that period of time right despite the fact that we had several seasons of european success and things like this right there really wasn't until peak six took over that you know there was new tarmac put down in areas of the ground we had the puddle fixed you know things like that it wasn't you know 
radical improvements, but it was, you know, the bare minimum that you would expect with uh, with those kind of finances, right? And I think there's a touch of this from from PeakSex, right? I think the the critique that we've got of them at the moment, right, is that we don't have that Stephen Kenny figure, you know, sort of leading the club as that, you know, sort of avatar of of what's happening. But nobody at the boardroom level is providing that either, right? They're also not providing the bill whole size or insane vision for like, you know, what's going to happen either uh, to everybody's great relief. But, you know, nobody's really saying, here's where we can go as a club. Here's what we should be doing. You know, here's the, the vision that we want to provide. Here's the character that the club should have, right? There's a piece missing there, right? And to some degree, if they decide that they can't provide that and they want somebody else to do it, fair enough. Right, give somebody else their shot. Um, if they also want to, you know, hang in there. If they want to be part of the club and you know keep their hand in, but you know have somebody else on board who does a little bit more in that regard, I think that's fine too. Um, and I do think there's a bit of a hysterical reaction right around the town where people are, you know, <laughs> basically, you know, trying to chase them out or you know haranguing them for you know not doing enough and stuff like that. Right? They're, like I said, there's room for critique, but you know, it's it's not all bad either. I would just say, and this is what's, yeah, there's trauma in our recent past about investors. So everybody's going to get a little bit nervous. Almost everybody who has been in charge of Oriel Park, who's when their time comes to an end, they almost always leave as a villain. And maybe in a few years after that, they're rehabilitated. And suddenly, you know, we name a lounge after them or we name the training facility after them or whatever. Um. We have to also allow for one particular vision. There has been times in the past when somebody wanted out of the club, and we're thinking of Jerry Matthews in particular here, and he could not find anybody to hand it over to. And that led to the Sean McCaffrey season whereby the budget was scaled way back because he was running out of money. And the construction industry was you know, more or less shut down. And we saw a new model came along, which was a youth player or relatively unknown players brought in very, very young and inexperienced squad, which wasn't really competitive and gave us quite a tough season. It was a tough season for the manager. It was a tough season for fans. It was a tough season for those players. We know a few in there went on to become club legends, but generally speaking, that was there was a misalignment there between what fans expect and demand and what that particular budget was capable of delivering. And we always have this as Dundalk fans. We demand to be competitive. We expect that we should be in the top one or two or three clubs in the country. And that's that's our baseline. That's what we want. But that does rely on an investor being there to bridge that gap between the revenue that the club generates through the gate, the revenue it generates through sponsorship, and then that massive subsidy that somebody pays out of their own pocket to bring us to that competitive level. And we don't kind of have a right to demand that of anybody, even though we think that we do. So we will need somebody to come in. And as Ruri was describing the job description there, it's essentially come in, give us lots of money, and then shut up and don't interfere. And that is a tough sell to any potential investor. I mean, why we, we are very, very cagey about them coming in and taking control when that's precisely what happens when there is a takeover. And we don't want them to have full control. We want them to listen to fans. We want them maybe to have continuity with the board that's been there before. And and we don't want another peak six situation. But I would say this to everybody who's a little bit nervous and a little bit panicky and maybe, you know, make a noise on social media that 
things are not going the right way is that there is investors apparently there's three or four potential people who are involved out there and they also need to know that they're not walking into some sort of dysfunctional bear pit where inevitably you know as soon as they take over there'll be a, a volley of sort of hard questions and and kind of you know eye rolling and that sort of stuff like i said i think there is in the future a way in which league of ireland football can be transformed and become more professional and have a wider appeal and have better facilities and that's got to start with one club leading the way now we were that club for a few years and then we had the peak six experience which derailed us if you were looking at Tallis stadium on the tv last night it is now coming to completion they have thanks to south dublin county council a facility which is sort of the best in the country and you know we would hopefully see more facilities like that rolled out but we need somebody to come in invest in a long-term vision and begin to transform the league into something like we see in the rest of the continent whenever we have a trip away for a European tie. Yeah, but we have just lamented, you know, maybe a lack of vision uh, around that in Dundalk FC. But I think the same thing is true of the FAI and of football in this country generally, right? That I think you look at the FAI as a whole, right? A sort of slightly similar situation, right? Where they were, you know, trying to you know, concrete over the crater that was left by the John Delaney era, which is obviously a very difficult challenge for them, you know, and you can sort of commend them for, uh, you know, stabilizing the FAI and getting it back on track. But when people are looking for a vision of, you know, where can football in this country go, like at international level, you know, it's, it's not delivering at the moment, right? And I think that's gone backwards. At domestic level, right, nothing happening, right? The last we heard, you know, of progress on that level was the Lucid plan, once COVID hit, that absolutely disappeared and has never reared its head again. And there is nobody in the FAI in this country who is really providing that vision. And I think it's summed up, you know, most of all by the Euro 2028, 20, you know, sort of hosting thing, where we've got this idea that we're going to host this international football tournament in the country. And, you know, every other nation that has hosted this in the past has had this domestic dividend where they said, we're going to create, you know, better municipal stadia. You know, we're looking at World Cups at the moment that are in France and stuff like that. And the stuff that was built for France 98 and things like that, that is still there, that is providing a legacy and it's being upgraded for, you know, new contests. But that platform is there because of the investment that went before. And we are lumbered, I suppose, with an association that says, actually, we're going to put some money into a GAA ground in the north and we're going to do nothing for domestic football in this country. Right. It just seems incredible. Right. And, uh, you know, I see other League of Ireland fans on social media saying, I hope we don't uh, get this bid or I hope we screw it up because it's so bad for football in this country. Right? It's providing nothing that it just seems absolutely incredible. Right. And I, I think, you know, that is a truly depressing state of affairs. But so typical, I mean, without somebody there to direct the government, be it from the football association or from clubs, you end up with these type of decisions. We will have a new Casement Park and we will have a rugby stadium. And But you can add this to the pile of woeful decisions. I mean, the FAI masqueraded as partners in the new Aviva Stadium, but we know the clock is ticking on, on the deal whereby it will revert back to entire ownership of the IRFU. And that was typical John Delaney. You know, make a disastrous decision now and just be well gone by the time the consequences land. Although that he eventually ran out of road in that. 
And again, it comes back to the reputation of the whole association and how it's integrated into the networks of how Ireland works. We are we are not close enough to centres of power. Somebody should have said, what is in this for, for Irish football? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. We're going to host a major European tournament. We won the bid because we were the only one. And the good for the GAA. The British government is going to pay for a new casement park. And Northern Ireland fans are going to sulkily go along to it by the sounds of things. There was interesting interviews outside Windsor Park and none of the patrons of Northern Ireland were too thrilled about making the journey down to Casement Park to see Northern Ireland in competition there. But again, the GAA, they're, they are well connected politically and they're well organised and they've pulled off quite a coup there. They're getting a new stadium um, built for them by somebody else. I mean, look, we, we've discussed this before. Every every city we go to every town there is a council funded or publicly funded ground in most of those and they are adequate to the club's needs and they serve a social purpose and we've got to make the case and keep making the case that irish football deserves the support that every other sport gets and that football gets in every other country in the european union I noticed there was some questions asked in the House by our local representatives about shouldn't Oriel Park be getting some money to allow it to be, you know, moved into the current century. And I hope our representatives right across the board will continue to ask those questions and to continue to push for it. And um, there's no reason, there's no excuse why there shouldn't be plans for Oriel Park that have central, local and private funding perhaps all combined together to make things happen and that should also be the rule for every other club which is making a contribution to to its local community and on that rant shall we turn to twitter to see what fans have made of the week's events okay so yeah it was a quite an eventful week so we'll start with a reaction to the sligo result from last week we asked in particular that O'Kane and mullen had impressed and we had a clean sheet kevin mullen asks have we unearthed the new chris shields uh jamie o'hara said we had a good shape about us with players in natural positions o'kane was excellent davis and elliot put in big shifts mullen was very good for his first start and could be the missing piece in midfield a uh, good all-round performance uh, aiden Gonley said a win is a win too little too late our best paired centre-back playing again, centre-backs playing again. Midfield was effective at times, but some of the basics were poor. The young lads, good work rate in midfield. Two good goals to win the game. Uh, sending off finish Sligo. So, um, and then Simon Canning said, Robbie Benson was incredible for the time he was on the pitch. Horgan, very good. Kane, excellent. Dickey, very good when he came on. Uh, Mullen did well. So it was high praise for all those players. Um, then reaction to the... The bogus results that followed up a week later. Um, Michael Shine said, very good second half. Deserved winners and at least uh, take things to the final week. Shows the potential when everyone is pulling together. Also thought, great interview Stephen O'Donnell did pre-match. Some people slash fans need to think before, think before posting negativity. Um, it seems Dundalk fans revel in bad news. Rory Gilson said, excellent second half display. All put in a shift hoping for a bit of calm and that some will take a breather before tweeting the first thing that comes to their heads over the next few days. Thought Stephen O'Donnell's pre-match interview with Aiden was absolutely spot on. Jack says Stephen O'Donnell ball is back, baby. 
Alan Hanks said, Hoban, the big difference when he came on, missing out on Europe by a point or two could be a real killer when looking back at some results we threw away. Let's just hope drugs can do us a favour. Simon Canning said, well deserved. Pity the lads didn't battle that hard all season. We would easily have gotten Europe. Benson class, as, as usual, slog it, my man of the match. Headed everything like a seasoned centre-half. Great performances all round. Hoban and Kelly from the bench made a massive impact. A lot of similar uh, sentiment there about that. Um, we also asked for some feedback on um, the speculation circulating about um, a takeover. Um, and uh, some people chipped in on that. Um, Roy Gilson said, happy enough with the statement and people expecting definitive news while negotiations are ongoing is tr- it just barmy. However, very concerning if the Hogan rumours are true. Uh, and have you put into print by Daniel McDonnell? Why make these decisions if investment is close? Bernard said, the Hoban thing for me is the bigger picture. Why do that? Very concerning. Horgan signed a matter of weeks ago, and I'm assuming on big wages. So this shows how erratic the decision-making is. So we asked as well about the the rumours of takeovers are, are, are circulating this week. We'd like to know what fans are thinking. Um, we asked two questions. Would you prefer to see additional investors join the current board or a wholesale change of ownership? And what concerns would you have about the new owners? Fintan Kieran said basically a bunch of questions. Who are the investors? What do they want uh, from their investment? Will there be an avenue of communication with the board? Are Stat Sports looking for partners or to get out altogether? Is there a plan for next season? Um the busted bulb says, I don't know what Andy does, but at least he's visible. Unfortunately, the other two seem to be uh, as absent as the Chicago mob. If they've no interest, they need to go. Any owner of the club needs to take the attitude that every season will be better than the one before on and off the pitch. Jason Kirk asks, without knowing who the investors are and their intentions, we could end up going down a rabbit hole. Either way, going forward, we need more communication from the board. And Brendan Ogle says they are impossible questions to answer until we know who the new owners investors might be. But all things being equal, it feels like time for a complete new start. Well, lots of interesting and diverse views on that one. And of course, there is this massive gap in our knowledge. We don't quite know who these possible investors are, what their plans are, what their resources are. So that's likely to feed a lot of speculation until that is all resolved. Hopefully, if there is to be a change in the guard, it happens sooner rather than later because we're now into an end of season phase where we need to begin the plan for next year. Depending on who emerges as our new owners, um, we've got to be ready to welcome it because it does. I think one thing that we can all agree on as fans is that the club does need investment. We want to see it get back to being competitive. We want to see facilities improve. We want to see it's move towards the norm of similar sized clubs in the rest of the continent. And if new investors can help make that happen, then I think we should all welcome them with open arms, as long as they're not peak six or peak six like. So that being said about investors, do you think that 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 kind of negative atmosphere that is kind of around the club, was that what Stephen O'Donnell was hitting out at in his comments this week? Uh, And do you think those comments are fair? I don't know. Always a dangerous sign, right? When I think a manager comes out and has, you know, a, a swipe at the media. Um, and I think, like, he is right about some things, right? That there has been this, you know, persistent air of negativity. And I think, you know, even I might accept some criticism. 
about you know the idea that when we win games it's always because the opposition are bad and when we lose games it's always because Dundalk are bad right and there's no stage where we actually credit Dundalk for being good uh, and you know there has been a few times right this season where I might have given that impression with like some of my comments so you know fair is fair but I think he also came out and said some things were flat wrong right so he said things like you know, there was no air of negativity around the club, you know, back when he was a player. Let me tell you, right, I think Rory also, you know, gave an anecdote about this earlier, but first game of the 2016 season, right, I went and I stood on the, the terrace in front of the main stand, and Darren Meenan had the cheek to wear a pair of yellow boots uh, out to this game, and there was a bunch of fellas behind me who just gave him dog's abuse the entire time. Darren Meenan with your banana boots! the entire time, right? Nothing but negativity the entire time they were there. And I was just agog the whole time, right? They spent, I'd say, the best part of an hour giving them abuse, you know? And I thought, this is a man who has just helped deliver back-to-back -back titles for Dundalk for the first time in the club's history, right, ever. We were living in the golden era of Dundalk football, right? And it's still negativity. And in some ways, I actually thought that was very reassuring, right? That, you know, some things just never change that negativity from the sidelines. Um, so that was definitely around the place. I think the other thing is that, you know, he said this isn't the case at other clubs, right? We were just weeks after somebody in the Cork City fan base stood at Oriel Park at halftime, right? Lambasting their own team and their own, you know, sort of organizational setup midway through a game against us, right? This definitely happens at other teams too. So I don't think this is a Dundalk only feature. I don't think this is new. Um, I do think that there is, you know, a bit of a shift. I, I think. Even Vinnie Perth, when he was at the club, said, you know, something along the lines of, I don't know if, you know, other clubs have to put up with as many podcasts, you know, talking about the the club and, you know, uh, going into more detail than you might get in a newspaper article and uh, and things like this. So, you know, this is true. Times are changing a little bit and there's, you know, more social media, you know, including ourselves and stuff like this. But, you know, do I think that this is new? Do I think that this is Dundalk specific? Absolutely not. And I think... You know, I, I don't envy this part of the role of being a, a football manager, right? But I think you know when you sign up, you know, for your contract on your first day that it is a performance-based uh, game that you're going to be judged on results and performances. And there are going to be a couple of thousand people paying to watch you every week who are going to give their opinion uh, on how you're doing your job, right? And I think you just got to suck that up. Stephen O'Donnell mentioned, for instance, podcasts in his comments. Um I don't think he was talking about us, but we on this podcast were once at the receiving end of the dog manager's uh, ire um, about uh, uh, comments. And one thing I would say is I definitely agree with Martin. That, that is part of it. That um, Come on, you sign up for this job. It, it, it is part of the uh, part of partial, especially in some uh, kind of an analytic role that people are going to pick over things. But I do agree with Steve O'Donnell that I and as Martin has said as well. I think there is like to me, it's not just negativity, but it's constant this apocalyptic end of the world thinking with Dundalk fans that like it is just this short term. This is you know all collapsing before our eyes stuff, and that's the one thing I, I can't get out of. And I just saw this week some comments on social media that just seem to be so panic stricken. You know what I mean? I'm just like. He, you know, things aren't great, but they're not the end of the world. And that's the one thing that I always kind of, it, it always raises my eyebrow, just how it, it goes. Again, Martin was saying about the, you know, the 
the the meaning one again, I think at the start of 2015 season, first game of the season, there was lads behind us giving um uh, Richie Towell shit after he had delivered one of the, one of the greatest individual performances the season before. And you're just like, um uh, I don't think it is unique to us at all. Uh I, I think that was a kind of a strange one. Uh, as Stevie said that you know it seems to me that Dundalk has a particularly negative fan base. Uh, you know, even if you look on Twitter at fans of English clubs, you know what I mean. I mean, like Liverpool fans uh, always kind of act like recently, like they're a club or some kind of minnows who are you know being hard done by. And they're like your Liverpool football club. This is always kind of um, I think I think that's part and parcel of it. Um, but I would say that that the current situation in the dock, I would just say some fans need to have a little bit longer term thinking uh, and really have a little bit of patience with these projects. People want immediate success, but things sometimes need a bit of a, a, a soak. And not everything goes your way, but I think it's I think it's a mix of things. I, I think Stevie maybe knowingly is being a little bit naive in some of his comments. But I think there's a grain of truth to what he said. Well, we all know there's been aspects of this season that you could be legitimately critical of. There's been aspects whereby we've probably done okay. It, I think we've said it before. If you put these last two seasons the opposite way around, we, most of us would have been content with a mid-table, relatively stable finish um, last year. And then getting to joint second this year would have been considered really good progress. We have slipped backwards. We're a little bit further down the table. but you know, sometimes things don't go smoothly. All Dundalk FC fans will be kind of probably in the midst of rumours until we do get white smoke about whether or not there is going to be a change of leadership, whether there is going to be additional investment. And that could really be influential on how we do next year. There's big, big questions that Stephen O'Donnell has to contend with. um, And it all depends on what his budget is. We know that we have many club legends who are now 31, 32. Um, can we go another year or two with those guys? We know he wants to, he stated that he wants to keep some of them. Some of our young players, are they, as you have indicated tonight, going to progress to become regulars in a kind of new luck team? Or do we need to kind of bring in fresh blood to the squad? He's going to be contending with all of this in an atmosphere whereby the boardroom may be in flux as well. So I think every Dundalk fan will be hoping for not a long drawn out drama here. If there is to be a change in the guard in the boardroom, we probably want it to happen sooner rather than later. Maybe with a smooth transition with the Conley faction at the current board staying on to give us that little bit of continuity, that little bit of institutional expertise. Uh, a, a kind of similar or even improved budget to give O'Donnell some stability to let him go into that third year where he can really hopefully build on what he's achieved so far and maybe get us back into contention. Because let's face it, the way the league is right now, it would not take that much improvement to be right back up there competing again. It hasn't been particularly competitive. In a way, that's disappointing, but it's also an opportunity for next season. Slight improvements here and there, a little bit more consistency and fitness, we could be right back up. So with that and this bumper episode, it's probably time to bring it to a conclusion. I'd like to thank all of the contributors, Damien Kenny, Martin Mullen and Rory Murphy for contributing. We'll be back after our final game against UCD at, uh, next week. Who knows, there's still a slim chance we could end up in Europe yet. Oh,